I always like, I like the way our Sundays start. Uh, technically, our service begins at uh, 10 o'clock, but I believe our fellowship apparently begins then, or maybe 15 minutes before then. I, I love seeing the way everybody comes together and and just uh, starts fellowshipping together. It's it's a blessing to see. But once again, welcome everybody, and uh, we're going to get started here with some music as we've done before. So. Just join on in. Carrie, do you want this? If you want to stand, that allows your voices to roll out. I don't know if Carrie's going to want to, but, uh, but uh, feel free to stand, sit, whatever you'd like. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. And I think my uh, sound guy isn't turning it on for me. Are we live back there, Ty? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieve. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Chains are set free, my God, my Savior has went on me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace, the earth will soon dissolve. The sun forbear to shine. A little more volume, Ty. Will be forever on. Chains are gone, been set free. My God, my Savior. Hands on me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior, His hands on me. 
Amen. Thank you, Father, for your unending love and your amazing grace in each one of our hearts and our lives here this morning. I pray, Father, that that unending love would be a reality in each one of our hearts. We know that 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 love is there, but yet sometimes we're so slow at accepting your love and your grace. And I pray, Father, this morning that you would open each one of our hearts to accept your love and your grace. And we thank you for that, Father. I pray that your spirit would be on us this morning and that in showing us your love and your grace that you would draw us closer to you today. We thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Once again, feel free to uh, share your your thoughts, your testimonies, uh, whatever the Lord lays on your heart between the songs. Forever we sing hallelujah. He is alive. 
testimony of Jesus being alive in your heart today. Sometimes it can be somewhat of a cliche-type phrase to say that it's only Jesus, and we lose the, the meaning of that. But yes, our salvation is only Jesus, and, and so often, you know, things of this world, this life, uh, get, it, get in the way, if you will, or distract us. But you know, when, when this life is over, we reach the end of life. None of those things matter, and then, once again, it's only Jesus.
it's only Jesus. And this song continues to build on that. He's our living hope. We have, as this song talks about, that huge chasm, that huge gap between where we were and where he was. But he's the bridge to that gap. Living hope. I'll break the chasm that lay between us. How I love Alfred, I could not hide. In desperation, I turn to heaven and spoke your name.
Not living hope. That's available for each one of us this morning. If if you've gone through your week feeling with that you're without hope, that hope is available to you. He asked you to come just as you are. He asked you to come without any pre-qualifications, to come broken, to be mended, to come wounded, to be healed. He's willing to do that in your life.
Bill, do you want to lead us in a prayer just thanking God that we can come to him just as we are and praying for any of those who God is asking to come right now? lesson for the kids. Is that right, Lo? All right, so kids, come on up here. I don't think we're going to have music for you today, but come sit up here, and uh, Lel is going to have a little lesson for you.
this. I have a question for you. Do you think any of you could tell me exactly what's going to happen next week? Where you're going to be, what you're going to be doing, or even tomorrow? Or think about it this way. Do you think you could tell me exactly what you're going to do on on your next birthday? What you're going to eat? Where you're going to be? What do you think? Yes or no? (laughs) What do you think, Alexi? (laughs) Okay. That's what you want to do. Do you think you could tell me, I know I'm going to go to my grandma's next year? You don't know. (laughs) And how about you? Uh huh. Okay. So that's what you like to do. That's what you would want to do. But you don't know exactly if next year the pool's going to be open or if your mom can take you to the pool. You know, we can't really know, can we, exactly what's going to happen next week. Because it's a ways away. But do you know someone who can know exactly what's going to happen? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. God can know, can't he? He can do miracles. We, as humans, we can't know exactly what's going to happen in the future, but God can know. That's pretty exciting. Um, I want to read you some verses, so listen real carefully. I want you to tell me who this is talking about, okay? Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. He had done no wrong, had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Do you know who that might be talking about? Were you going to say something? Uh huh. So these verses are talking about Jesus. It says he was he died for our sins, doesn't it? And we all know that Jesus died for our sins. And it says he was buried in a rich man's grave. And we know when he died, a rich man came and took Jesus off the cross and put him in the grave. So can anybody tell me who wrote these words? No? Well, God wrote them because he used a human being to write them, didn't he? Do you know the human being that God used to write these words? Good guess. That's a good guess. It's in the Old Testament, huh? That's a good guess, too. This was the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. And can you guess how many years before Jesus was born, when was this written? How many years before Jesus? Huh? Lots. (laughs) A week, one year, ten years. Can you tell me? Almost. Almost. (laughs) <laughs> Not a million, but a little bit more than a hundred, huh? 
thousand million hundreds. Okay, it was written. It was written about seven hundred years before Jesus was born. So we know that God knows everything, don't we? That's just amazing. We have an amazing God. He knows everything, everything about us, everything about the world, and he makes sure that everything he says is going to happen will happen. Um, this is why we know that we can completely trust God in our lives, and we can trust what, let's listen real carefully, we can trust what God says in the Bible, can't we? If God can tell us 700 years ahead of time what's going to happen, and it happens exactly like he says, we know that we can trust the Bible. So I have a little bit of homework for you. Next week we're going to talk some more about this huge miracle of God being able to tell us what's in the future and to tell us exactly what's going to happen in Jesus' life and when Jesus is going to come. Yeah? Oh, that's fun. <laughs> I always like sleepovers. They're fun. Okay, but I have some homework for you this week. I want you all to talk to your parents and ask your parents <clears throat> to tell you about more things that were written before Jesus was born that talked about who he was going to be, what he was going to do, and what was going to happen in his life. And so next week, I'm going to ask you to tell me a few of those things. And we're going to talk more about what a huge miracle this is that God did in telling us about the details of Jesus' life. Okay? So don't forget to ask your parents this week. And like I say, just let's go away with the thought that we can trust whatever God tells us in his word, can't we? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Lel. Good lesson. All right, a few announcements quick before we uh, head to the teaching time. Um, as usual, we have our lunch after the service, so please stay and enjoy that with us and uh, enjoy that time of fellowship as well. You'll see in your bulletins also that uh, our annual youth retreat weekend is being planned, and uh, I see a few uh, applications coming through, but uh, let's see some more here. I know we got some of the Yoder kids and a few others in, so actually there's one Yoder kid that don't have his in yet, so you know who you are. <laughs> actually, two of them. Um, so uh, go ahead and spread the word about that, and uh, it should be a a great weekend, uh, young people, uh, was it six, 16, 15? 15 and up, that's right. So that that's coming up the first weekend of September, so get your applications in for that. I uh, think that's pretty much it for uh, the announcements, and Phil will be speaking to us this morning, so we'll turn the time over to him.
Good morning. Um, I can't, uh, first of all, I want to say God uses an example sometimes in the scriptures uh, to get a message across. He'll use animals or even insects. And yesterday um, I was at, at a church and uh, came across this and, and uh, got a copy. It says, we, it says, we can all learn an invaluable leadership lesson from this pack of wolves. The three in front are old and sick. They walk in front to set the pace. The next five are the strongest. They protect the front side from an attack. The middle group is fully protected. The five behind them are also among the strongest. They protect the backside. The last wolf is the leader. He ensures no one is left behind. He keeps the pack tight and on the same path. He is ready to run in any direction to protect his pack. Being a leader is not about being in front. It's about taking care of your team. And you can apply that in the church. You can apply that anywhere. And if the world was like that, we'd probably be in better shape. Um, and, and there's another thing that I've been told, too, um, years ago. You talk about ducks or geese. They fly in a V shape. And the uh, one in front, he, he kind of plows through. And the ones in back don't have a hard time flying. But when the one in front gets tired, he goes to the back, and then somebody, uh, another duck or geese uh, goes to the front. Also, what's interesting, too, is if uh, a geese uh, kind of uh, is sick or something like that and kind of falls to earth, two geese will follow it and wait if it dies or gets healed. So I just think it's interesting how God can give us a message through animals. It also talks about insects in the book of Proverbs. Also, I would like to sing a song, and I would like to ask Brother Phil to come up and help me to sing this song. We were talking about another song. Earlier, we sang about being alive. Well, this one is about being alive, too. And if you know it, sing along with us. Alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. Alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah. My Jesus is alive forevermore. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah. My Jesus is alive. God bless you.
Well, this morning you can turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 14. <clears throat> I have been, um, I've been reading a book in the past couple of weeks, well actually the week I was gone, one of the things I really enjoy doing when I take long uh, airplane rides, long flights of like nine and a half hours, and you sit there and you could uh, really get bored or you can really waste your time. And what I see a lot of people do on airplanes these days is waste their time. And they waste their times by watching movies all those nine hours. I mean, when in the world do you do that in regular life? That's a whole day's work of sitting there just watching TV all day long. But that's what people do when they ride nine and a half hours on an airplane over to Europe. And the Lord has put a deep conviction in my own personal heart. This is not to condemn anyone who has a different conviction, but to challenge you with this word. What do you do when God gives you time? Do you do something intentionally or do you just sit back and let it go by? Try to fill your time with something so that you're not bored out of your mind. <clears throat> well, one of the things the Lord has given me, a personal, wonderful conviction that has turned into a life-giving spirit is reading. And I often use that time to read for hours when I don't have the time here because I'm busy. And I don't know about you guys. I know people are different in this way. Some people don't enjoy reading. Other people, that's what they love to do. Wherever you are in the spectrum, um, I would challenge you with this. If you don't like to read... And you've never enjoyed it. And you still can read. You can see and you can read. You can develop it in your life. I just want to say that to encourage you. I grew up as a teenager. I hated reading. I hated school. Lukey doesn't believe that, but he likes to hear me say that. But I like it too because I can now tell and encourage my boys. There was a day when I didn't like it. But there was a day when the Holy Spirit came into my heart. And you know what was the first thing that he did to me? He taught me to enjoy reading. First of all, God's word. First Peter chapter 2 says this. As newborn babies... We sincerely desire the pure milk of the Word. I've heard hundreds of testimonies of men and women who got born again, whom the Lord saved their souls, and immediately God's Word became the most precious thing in their life. No one told them to do that except the Spirit of the living God. And along with David... In Psalm 119, he says, Your word is more precious to me than silver and gold. That, he wasn't lying. He was simply expressing what was real for him. God's word became more precious than money. Is it for you? How about if I offered you a million dollars 
or God's word? Which one would you take? Would you? God gives us that choice every day. Money or my word. And we pay the price every day. We make that choice, every one of us, in one way or another. And the Lord has put this on my heart. And so, um, a brother, I, I, because many people know that I enjoy reading, or maybe they think I should read certain books, I don't know. Maybe it just goes along with the culture of the responsibility of being a preacher, but I have many people from all over the world who know me who text me and say, Phil, you got to read this book. Phil, you got to read this book. Phil, you got to read this book. And I get, I get these almost every week. And I, I'm, I'm blessed. I, I like it. I don't read all those books. But this brother from India texted me just a week before I left for Norway. And it was the Lord. And he texted me and said, Phil, you got to read this book. And, um, and it was a book that... The Lord used to really speak to my heart. I ordered it, and you know how the blessing of Amazon, in two days you can have the book for a few, a few dollars. <clears throat> I'm going to share out of, uh, out of the lessons the Lord has been speaking to me from this book. I'm not going to read the book to you or share um, per se, quote the book to you this morning. But here in this book, this brother was speaking about building a culture in our own life and in our fellowship in the churches. And the Lord really spoke strongly to me. One of the things I, I like to do is take it into my own heart and filter it through the Word of God. Because books, even good books, can be imbalanced. And if I just take that book and swallow it hook, line, and sinker, as we say, it can reel me off into a, an imbalanced Christian life. And so I encourage you, whatever books you're reading, read the book and then come back to God's Word and take the truths, the impressions of that book, the influence of that book, and let it filter through. You know how people look for gold? Back in the old days, they would take, whether they were doing it in a stream or from the rock, they would take out the dirt and they had a real fine screen mesh and they would put the dirt there and they would shake it back and forth and back and forth or they let the water run through it and the golden nuggets would remain in the screen. This is how we still find gold. This is how we find truth. That changes our life. That transforms us and perfects us. Proverbs chapter 2 said these words. Turn your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 2. And then I'll get to the subject matter that the Lord has been speaking to me about. Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you will receive my sayings. <clears throat> by the way. Have you ever read this word as directly from God to you? Your Father in heaven is speaking to you. And he looks you right in the eye. And he says, my son, my daughter. Take it from your Father in heaven. 
my son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. I want you to notice the progression. My son, if you will receive my sayings. He didn't say hear them. There's a difference. You can read God's word and receive nothing. I've done it many times. I just did my morning devotions, but I got nothing out of it. If you will receive my sayings. Notice the intention. This is not a passive sitting there, passing time with God, right? This is intentional. It's active. You and I are receiving. When I think of receiving, I think of it like this. When you sit down at a table, and you order your food, and you receive the food from the waitress. She comes out, and she gives you the food. Have you received your food yet? Yes or no? Has it done any good for you yet? Except cause your taste buds to, as you say, your mouth to water. Hasn't done anything for you yet. When have you really received the nourishment of that food? Right? When you put it in your... When you now take your hand and scoop it off that plate and you put it in your mouth and you chew the food and put it into your stomach. You can look at that food all day long and walk away and receive nothing except wasting your money and time. That's what I think of when I think of this word. If you will receive my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. What's the first thing that's going to happen to you? Wow. That'll be the posture of your heart in awe of God. A reverent awe of God is what first thing we'll discover, we'll see. When you and I are there, then we can receive it like John the Apostle received it in Revelation chapter 1. When the Lord came and he met John, how did John receive the rest of all of this knowledge of God? How was he transported up into the presence of God and out into the future? It started by his reverential awe of God. And if you and I miss that, 
we missed mostly the whole thing. Because we won't intentively listen. We'll listen like a busy man. We'll be busy with our own thoughts. We'll be busy with our own, own interests. We'll be busy talking to God and our, you know, praying to Him, telling Him everything that we need and everything that we want to have and everything that we, you know, are des- so desperate for. Or we'll just be busy with life, praying for everyone else. But we'll miss the attentive listening. And then we'll also miss our heart won't follow our ears. Our heart won't incline to Him. Our heart won't follow His instruction. And if His words do not enter my heart, I'll walk out unchanged every time. And my heart will either grow hardened and calloused and deceive me or it'll go after all the things of the world. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice. And he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness. That's how you'll know what is right. and What is wrong in your life. You'll discern justice. And equity. Fairness. And every good course For wisdom will enter where? Your heart. You receive it. It enters it like food enters your stomach. For wisdom will enter your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. To deliver you from the way of evil. The way of evil. From the man who speaks perverse things. From those who leave the paths of of uprightness. To walk in the ways of darkness. who Who delight in doing evil. And rejoice in the perversity of evil whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways, and to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. And he continues. So this word the Lord has been speaking to me is found in Romans chapter 14. And I realized that though I had been Walking this way and doing doing these things in my life, I needed to become more intentional. I needed to begin to dig this like silver and for gold. I needed to take 
and sift it through the Word in a more intentional way. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 14. I'll begin in verse 16. Therefore, do not let. Is that passive or active? Active. Something you do intentionally. Do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. How do I do that? Are you doing that? For what you is a good thing, but other people, they're looking at it as a stumbling block in their life. Here's how we do it. He doesn't leave us in the dark. David said in Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When I was in Norway, a dear brother that I've known, actually he was the brother who first invited me to Norway back in 2010, the first time Katie and I went. Uh, brother Roth is his name. And uh, three years ago when, when we were there, he was developing and had developed a prototype of what he calls a hike, be, hike beam, right? Hike beam. It's a, it's a flashlight that, you know, many of us know about the little headband lamps. Well, he developed one that puts it on your belt, and you put this little belt around your waist, and it clips right up here in the front, and so instead of having the light all the way up here, it shines right here. And you can go on his website and see how much clearer the path is lighted in the dark from here to here. It has much more direct light, and it doesn't turn with your head. So you can turn your head this way or that way. The light continues to shine in the path that your body's direction is. And so he has all these, he, he had this prototype, and he was showing it to me. Well, this year when I went there, he had a patent in the last three years, and now it's on the market. And so he gave three of them, one for Lucas and Michael and one for me, uh, to me as a gift. It's called Hike Beam. And so we've been testing this thing out uh, at night and walking down. And it's amazing how much brighter the light is when it's not up here, but down here. And it's more focused. And it's, it, wherever your foot is going, the light is shining the direction your feet are going, not the direction your head is. So I've been thinking a lot about this. God's word is a lamp to my feet, not my head. Think about that. Is God's word directing your mind or your feet? There's a big difference. There are many times our feet can be walking and our head is looking in other directions. And the light is not shining on our feet. And so we stumble over things we don't see. This is how it is spiritually for us. There are things that sometimes our heads are busy looking this way and that way and we're noticing and we're distracted and our feet are still walking. But if God's word is a lamp to your feet, it'll be a hike beam, not a headlamp. There, how's that for a good sales pitch? Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but 
righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Or he or she who in this way serves Christ. Something happens. The same thing that happened to Abel versus Cain. What made Cain angry? Someone tell me. You know the story of Cain and Abel, the first men? Yes. Yep. God accepted Abel's sacrifice and did not accept Cain's. This is still true right here today. You can be sacrificing your righteousness to God, but unless God accepts your sacrifice, you'll be left. You and I will be left as frustrated as Cain was. And we'll end up killing our brothers and sisters. Perhaps not with a gun or with a sword, but with our tongue. We'll destroy those whom we see God accepting their sacrifice. Because we're angry. We're not angry because... Their sacrifice is accepted. What we're really angry about is we want our sacrifice to be accepted. But we don't want to do it God's way. Oh, I see that in my own life. As I look back over the journey of my life, this has been real many times. And I've had to repent and come to the Lord and find forgiveness and change my sacrifice. To make it acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, verse 19, let us pursue. Do you see that word? Is it active or passive? How many of you are pursuing anything right now? I don't see anybody running anywhere. You're all sitting. You're passive. What does the word pursue mean to you? Go after. Not just Oh, yeah, it's a nice day out there. Well, I'm going to finally get to work whenever I want to. You know, I'm just enjoying the ride and the journey. No. Pursuit is we're running after something. It's an intentional. I make a decision to get up and run after this thing. That's what he's saying. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That's the word the Lord has been speaking strongly into my personal life. I need to be a builder. And that which I build intentionally becomes a culture, an atmosphere in my life in our home, and in the church. Building up one another and those things which make for peace. And so I've been pondering this truth of building a culture. And I've been asking the Lord, not just for what I, the book I read, which was entitled Building a Culture of Goodness, 
And I agree with much of what he said. But as I looked into the Word of God, I seen something deeper, something more awesome for me. That Proverbs 2 became true in my life in the last few weeks. In a more uh, personal, pursuing kind of way. And the Lord said to me, Bill, I want you to build a culture of love. A culture of joy. And a culture of peace. In your own life, in your home, and in the church. These are the things which make your sacrifice acceptable to God. And pleasant to men. That word approved is, we don't do it for the approval men. It's not for the praise of men. It becomes a pleasant experience for those whom I live with who we do church with, who we come together and sacrifice to God with. And God accepts it. And then I thought of the opposite. I was reading to the boys who were reading through Proverbs. And Proverbs says this, It is better to live in a lonely attic, in a corner of an attic. Now, our houses today, many of them don't have attics like the old houses had but when I grew up as a little boy we my parents lived in an old house and we had a basement we had the main floor we had upstairs and then we had this attic space which was up way up in the peak of the roof and I remember when I was about I don't know six seven years old we were scared of the attic it seemed spooky, a little weird to us. And, and the attic was in the upstairs where we slept as kids had different rooms. And there was, you'd go around this corner and there was this little door. I can still picture it. And this, these wooden steps would go up into this attic space. And it was only maybe five feet tall up there. And it was dusty and creepy. And if we really wanted to scare each other, we'd say, oh, I'm going to hide in the attic. You know, you play hide and seek and see who's bold enough to come find me in the attic. And guess what we always did in the attic? Boo! (laughs) So we were scared of the attic. Proverbs, that's what I think of when I think of attic. Proverbs says, it is better to live in the attic than in a big house where there is strife and contention. It is better to eat a dinner of herbs, salad, every day, and to have a roast beef and fight over it. A culture of fight in a home nullifies God's word because you can't digest your food when you're fighting. You'll have indigestion. Do you ever know that? It's true. You have a lot of indigestion when you're fighting. In fact, it takes away your hunger. You ever feel like eating when you're in a fight with somebody? Hey, hold, you're really battling. Hold on, hold on. I'm starving right now. I'm just going to go and eat. 
You ever see anybody do that? Take a break for food. I don't think so. You're intent on one thing, and that's winning that war. And this is how it can be. When we come to God's sacrifice of our own righteousness, even with God's word, I've done it so many times. We do it in a spirit of fighting with our tongues. I'm going to win this argument because I know God's word about this verse and that verse. Oh, man, my dear brothers and sisters, do you realize how effective Satan is working among God's people in his church today with that one spirit? Fight. And you know how we console ourselves? I'm fighting the good fight of faith. We can take a Bible verse. But at the end of the day, we lay our heads on our pillows. There's one thing missing. God's blessing of peace in our hearts. Abel had peace when he walked away from his sacrifice. Peace with his God. Cain was angry. And the Lord's been speaking this strongly to my heart. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Your body, not a dead sacrifice, it's alive, but it's holy. A holy sacrifice, so that word simply means a clean. Whenever you read the word holy in the scriptures, you can translate it clean. They had to take the bullocks and their sacrifice and cleanse it first. The first thing that the priests, that the people who came into the presence of God, they came to the big bowl of water called the laver, and they had to wash themselves. The Lord wanted the dust of the world Offer their bodies a clean sacrifice. And God still is looking for our bodies to be a clean sacrifice. And it doesn't mean you have to go take a shower before you pray. That might be a good idea, though. Wakes you up, I'll tell you that. But He wants a pure sacrifice, He wants one of pure motives. He wants a pure heart. Instead of double-mindedness in James 1, a heart that wants its own interest from God and then wants to give God some of His, is a double-minded man, unstable in all His ways. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. Pure heart means a surrendered heart. I come with nothing, no ambition, no selfish interest or ambition, Lord. I only come to do your will. That's how Jesus came. Hebrews 2, a body you have given me, and he ends, I've come to do your will. A pure heart. 
a holy sacrifice. This makes it acceptable to God. You see that? And so, dear brothers and sisters, when we go to intently pursue and establish a culture of love, it must begin this way. If you begin with a divided heart and mixed in with many of your own selfish ambitions, your self-interest, you're not going to receive anything from the Lord. You'll walk away from every prayer. You'll walk away from every quiet time with the Lord. And in fact, you know what you'll find happening in your life? The quiet times become less and less. Because why would you go offer a sacrifice and you know it's not acceptable? Does a woman like to cook food when her family doesn't like to eat it? It's just not taste for acceptable. I think you'd find, moms, that you would cook less and less and less probably. Unless you're a strong mother and you're training your children how to eat well. I, I give probably most of you would do that anyway. But you get the point, right? If the food isn't acceptable, the people just don't come to eat it anymore. And so you find your, your Christian life without acceptance. Of God's word in your life. Because it's a fight. And James tells us in James 3. That when we're fighting. Whether it's with God or with men. This is what happens. It becomes a culture. Of wickedness. Verse 13 of James chapter 3. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. That's building a culture of love. Want to teach your wife or your husband something? Want to teach your children something? You can take that food and open their mouth like a baby and scoop it in. Right? Isn't that what you used to do when they were little babies? You took it, and sometimes I remember Katie would even take Christian's mouth and she'd, oh, boom, put it in there. She'd pry it open, you know, with her fingers and say, you got to eat. And you know what? You didn't want to eat. No, you have to eat it. You spoon feed them, force feed them. And this is how we do spiritually with each other many times, right? I have a truth you need to hear, brother. You need it, sister. You need it, honey. You need to hear this, sons. Listen to me. Oh, yeah, they're going to listen real well right now, right? Where's their heart? Their heart is running out the front door or the back door. They'll sit and listen to you because they're scared of you. But their heart is not there at all. You're not entering anything into their hearts. You're just yelling it in their ears. And what are you? 1 Corinthians 13 says you're just a bunch of noise. Michael can do that really well. That clapping that is so annoying. <laughs> he knows we tell him sometimes, oh, Michael, I know you're cheering, but woo, let's stop the clapping. It's like, that's good. <laughs> you do it. You do it so well, Michael. Show us how it's done. Just keep on doing that for a while. See how pleasant that is to everybody here. Yep, a, sing, a tingling 
noise. 1 Corinthians 13 says. Let him show by his good behavior. How do you begin to teach wisdom? Did you get this? How do you start? Through example. Your good behavior. Take your own life. Make it a living example. And then, in the gentleness of wisdom, you share. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, is natural. Did you get that? It's earthly. Anybody can do that. It's quite natural. It'll come out naturally. It does not need the Holy Spirit of God in your heart. You'll just do it naturally. And that is demonic. Have you recognized this in your life, dear brother, sister? That which you do from selfish ambition leads you to do it in an earthly, natural way, but it has a demonic result. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. The devil lives there, flourishes there. Any Christian's sacrifice of righteousness in his devotional time, in his family time, in our homes, and in our churches. The devil lives right here. Where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, he's at home there. But we don't even know it. Because we use the word of God with each other. And we shove it down each other's throats. And we preach it powerfully. And we say it with authority. And we can quote all the verses to back it up. And we bring our sacrifice like Cain. And when God doesn't accept it, we lay down a bed at night. We're not at rest and at peace with our God. And guess what we're doing? I call it pillow talk, especially married couples. You know how this goes, right? And you don't have to be married to do this. You lay down to go to sleep. And what are you doing in your mind? You're winning an argument with somebody, right? Our married couples are talking about the strife that's going on in their home or their kids or in the church or at work. It's words of winning arguments. Or maybe couples are doing it with each other. Yep, the devil's right there. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Pure motives. A heart surrendered, wholly His, 
Like I shared last Sunday. The Lord is looking for those whom He can support, whose heart is completely His. That's what you call pure. Then, peace. Peace will always follow a pure heart. The result of that heart that's completely His is rest. You don't have to win any arguments. Not with your wife, not with your children, and not with your brothers and sisters in the church. You don't need to win even one. Why? Because you're at peace. Did Abel argue with Cain? He had no need. Who argued with Cain? Who argued with him? Someone did. Someone tell me who? No, not Satan. God! Do you see what just happened? Abel did not argue. He was at peace. Who shows up and argues? God. Wow. Do you want God to argue for you? Do you want God go speak to that brother, that sister, your wife, your husband, your children, his living word, and deal with them, then you come to a place of peace. And he will. But see, it takes faith to do that. The faith of 1 Peter 3. That is not only speaking to women. Have you read 1 Peter 3? Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is speaking to men as well as women. And unfortunately, many men, Christian men and pastors, take this word and they spoon feed it right into their mouth. Right? Listen here, woman. Let me read this to you, honey. You know what happens with those people? Divorce. Always. Almost always. That leads to divorce. Maybe not in the courts. But it leads to divorce in the heart. Couples can live together for years and be divorced in heart. Our hearts are far from each other. You know why their hearts are far from each other? Because the love has grown cold. But worse than that, their sacrifice is not accepted and their prayers are not heard. That's the end result of this. 1 Peter chapter 3. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word. Your husband is not obeying God's Word. What am I going to do? That they may be one without an argument. Without a word. How? By the behavior, example 
living sacrifice, example of the wife. As they observe your chaste, that word is pure, her heart is completely his. And respectful behavior. And let not your adornment be merely external. Oh, it's amazing. When we're hollow inside, when this is missing, guess what we do? We dress well every time. We men do it too. We begin with outward impressions, that becomes our focus. When the inside is corrupted, hollow, where the devil lives, there's strife. Hi there, how are you this morning? Oh, how was your week? Oh, it was good. God is good. We stay very impersonal and put smiles on our faces and make our handshakes warm. But we are hollow inside because we just got done fighting and our Fighting with our kids and coming to church. Fighting with our wives and our children, our, mom, our husbands. And, and by the way, I'm fighting with you too, brother. But how was your week? We dress up. Let not your adornment be merely external. Braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person. Of the heart. The heart. With the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. No argument. The righteousness of Abel. Though he was being killed by his brother. But let it be that of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God. Oh, I love that word. Their hope is not in you, husband. Their hope is not in you, wife. Their hope is in God. Dear brothers and sisters, if we got this, this one thing, that we can hope in God for each other. It would bring peace in our hearts. In so many areas of our life. We don't see the need to fight. Because we have hope in God. For each other. And we commit each other. Into his loving care. Used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, not capital Lord. Abraham was not her God. It was her authority. Earthly authority. Big difference. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. That word frightened is the word panic. Boy, have you panicked for anyone lately? Yeah, we have, right? I can panic for my children. I can panic for my wife. I see my children doing something wrong and there's something that rises up in me and I've got to stop this. Right? I panic. I want to I wanna, I wanna control it. I panic for you, brother, or you, sister. 
And so panic always leads to action. Impulsive action. Not a quiet heart of rest and hoping God. We panic, we speak. We panic, we act. No, without any panic, without being frightened by any fear, you husbands likewise, verse 7. See, he's talking to both, us and them. And here's what happens. Live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman and grant her honor as fellow heir of the grace of life. When we live this way with each other, we become fellow heirs of the grace of God in this life He's given us. Instead of seeking to become lords over each other and Spoon feed each other, force feed each other. We become heirs together of the grace of this life. So that your prayers may not be hindered. An open heaven. One brother used to call it an open heaven. I think of it a lot like this. There is much truth that you and I live in that is like the light of the sun. Share this word with you. This is where my thoughts are. Help guide your thoughts. Proverbs 4, verse 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. You've been there, right? Were you there this morning? Anybody get up early in the morning and you see the light of dawn? On a cloudy day, do you see the sun? No. The light is way out ahead of the sun. Long before you see the sun itself, you experience the light of dawn. And there's much truth that you and I can live in the light of dawn-like. Just coming from Norway. This time of the year, it doesn't ever really get dark. At about 1 o'clock in the morning, at midnight, there's a sunset. And if you stay up from about midnight to 3 in the morning, the sunset just becomes a sunrise. It never gets truly dark. They're way up north in the northern hemisphere there. And it was so interesting because my time clock is all messed up, right? To, I, I fly in there and my, my biological clock is still here in Mountain Standard Time. And, and so they're eight hours ahead of me. And so, you know, at, at one o'clock in the morning, it, it, it's uh, nine o'clock in the morning over here. Actually, they're ahead of us, so it's opposite. So I'm up at one o'clock, at three o'clock, at five o'clock almost every night. And I'm, I can't sleep. And, and then I, in the afternoon, is nighttime over here and I want to sleep and you're going through this time thing and and so I got to see the sun never set and it just all of a sudden gets brighter and brighter and brighter and about five o'clock the sun begins to come up over the horizon we can live in truth without seeing the sun there's a big difference living in the daylight of the sun 
or living in the direct ray of the sun. The direct rays of the sun, you experience the heat of it. Right? A cloudy day eventually produces a gloomy person. Isn't that true? Unless you love London, you're one of those Londoners that love living there. You, you love the cloudy days, but those people are few and far between, it seems. Most of us love the bright sunshine. It makes us happy. It does something. It affects us, our mood. This is how it is spiritually. We can live in this truth like the light of dawn and just stay there. And you will be one gloomy Christian in your home, your personal life, and in the church. Let it grow. It is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter into the full day. That's where this truth, the heat of it, enters your heart. The wisdom of it enters your heart. And you begin to live in the wisdom. You build a culture, an atmosphere of goodness, of love. This kind of love, wisdom. God's grace has direct sunlight into your soul. You feel the heat of it. The effects of it. Verse 9 of chapter Ephesians, chapter 5. For the fruit of the light. This is the result of this direct sunlight. When you and I walk this way. The fruit of it consists in all goodness. Not only can you now say God is good, but He's good to me. He has given me that goodness that love his joy and his peace i've received into my heart into my spirit i live in that atmosphere i speak out of that attitude of my heart and i share this in my home because i live there inside where Christ dwells in me, in this spirit. And my sacrifice, everything I do for God, I receive that goodness. It's acceptable, well-pleasing. Cain could not disturb Abel in any way. Abel had no, nothing to argue about. God had accepted his sacrifice. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. 
And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Verse 15. I'll read verse 14 first. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, my dear brothers and sisters, if you are in a place where it's a cloudy day, and in your heart you've been striving with God, arguing with Him, like Cain over your sacrifice to Him, And you've been frustrated and upset by your brothers and sisters around you and their sacrifice. Let the Son of Righteousness arise in your heart. Christ, shine on you. Let Him rise you from this deadness. That's what it is. It's death to the Spirit. And Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, or that word simply means it's a waste. It's just a waste. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms. Oh, I love to do that. One of my favorites is we share, I share the psalms. We share it together every morning. We share a psalm with each other. The first words to each other could be a psalm because that's what God is speaking to us. When the Lord puts a psalm, a song in your heart, And you wake up with his joy over your life and a song in your heart. David says, your songs are with me in the night seasons. When God wakes you up with his song in your heart, there's no one can steal that joy. Speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. That creates A culture where Jesus not only accepts our sacrifice, he lights it. He comes down. He lights the fire. And anyone who wants to argue with your life, you can walk away quietly. God will argue with them. God will take care of them. And God won't always, you know, I love how God came to Cain. He didn't just go slap Cain up over the cheek. He didn't just condemn him right away. God showed up and said, Cain, why are you, why is your face so messed up? Why has your countenance fallen? What's the matter? You don't look happy. You see how gentle God is? Do you have right to be angry? And Cain begins his argument, and God says, hey, it's okay. If you do well, won't you be accepted? God is so gentle in his arguing his case with Cain. But Cain just gets angrier and eventually leads to God's judgment. Let God win your arguments. 
you'll be at rest. As a dad, I say this in front of our boys because they know I do this a lot. Fathers, mothers, we don't need to win the argument with our children if we trust God or them this way. There are times when the boys want to argue with me and I just turn and I just walk away. I don't need to win the argument, but I'm also doing something else. At first, they were like, why are you just walking away from me, Dad? Made them angry at me. Until I explained, I want to pray, not argue. So there's a reason I'm walking away. I want to go and just hear the voice of the Lord. Because if I responded earthly and naturally and in my flesh right now, it wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be pleasant. It would be earthly. It would be natural. And it would be demonic. It would have a demonic effect on your heart. And my words would not minister grace to the hearers. So I got to go get grace first. That's what I'm really doing. And I've told them when I walk away, I'm just trying to get grace and hearing God's word from my heart. So I am at rest. Because when they argue with me, my earthly natural rises up with me. Let's have this out. Not Physically, words. I want to argue with them. Right? Yeah? That's why I walk away many times. Yeah. You know what happens every time? God begins to speak. Many times before I even have to turn around and come back, they're saying, Dad, I'm sorry. Please forgive me, Dad. Are you willing to trust God? Hoping God for each other, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, and brothers and sisters. Oh, you want to build a culture where love thrives. Joy is the strength of our relationship. We literally rejoice for each other. And where peace guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Those three. Develop a culture where Christ lives and moves and speaks and reigns among his people. In my personal life first. In our home life. And in our church life. Lunch is probably ready, so let's uh, stand and we'll have a closing prayer and a blessing on the meal.
John, will you lead us in a prayer, please? Sure. Lord, we thank you for your word again this morning, Lord. We open our hearts to you, Lord, and allow you to work in us, Lord, that we could be, you could find fruits in our labors for you, Lord, for your kingdom. And we thank you, Lord, for the natural food also, Lord. Thank you for providing for this. We ask that you would bless it, Lord, and bless our fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.